was, you know, we can talk about it, I guess, more extensively, maybe if there's more people, but yeah. the activist world has inherent built-in problems mm -hmm. when it comes to these issues. Yeah. And it has to transform if it's going to have a real impact. That sounds in line with uh, Johnny's ideas. Yeah. yeah. Stories and songs of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the people in the activist world haven't had, they've never worked within the system. Mm -hmm. So you don't fully understand how the system operates. Mm -hmm. And because there's no money and everything goes off street cred, everybody constantly tries to discredit each other in order to monopolize the little bit of money they can get through grants and donations and stuff. And the purity troll aspect to the activist community is, I mean, unbearable. And it's what prevents it from ever really growing. Mm. How is it? Very nice. Good. Thank you. Wes, how did you uh, transition from the military world to the activist world? If, in well, fact, you did transition from one to the other, or maybe your, no, your interest in activism began something totally unrelated to your military service. Mm. Well, I've been out for 20 years. So, okay. I grew up in it. I got out in 96. You know, my final quote-unquote time in service was 2001. Okay. And I worked in a lot of different jobs since I got out. I've never been an activist, ever. I mean, I'm on the Young Turks, and have been on the Young Turk Network since like 2004, but, you know, that's just an interest I have in current events and politics. That's not like right. that. That's not act the same thing as activism. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I have done everything from a North American, you know, project manager for a Dutch, you know, wind turbine company to new business director at an ad agency, a creative executive out in Hollywood. You know, I've done a lot of different stuff, and then I've always been interested in the environment as an issue. And right. As things get worse and worse and worse, I mean, I felt like Obama was kind of elected with a mandate to do something about it back in 2008, and he did nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and we're at the point now where we're going to start seeing like, the collapse of civilization in my lifetime, yep. unless we act quickly. And so I dropped everything I was doing in life in like September and said I just need to work full time on trying to save the planet. September this past September. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's emergency time. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, crazy. it's been. It's, we're well into emergency yeah. time as well. You know? For a long we're, time, we're, we're I mean, well into it. The British government in 2015 predicted the collapse of civilization by 2035 at the latest, and I can see it. Like the way I see it playing out in the United States, and what people don't get is, it's not that the sea level is suddenly going to rise and we're going to suffocate in 10 years. But what will happen is, you know, first of all. We're at the beginning of a J-curve on both temperature and 
ice melt. So it's accelerating faster than people realize. Mm -hmm. It's going at geometric rates. Mm -hmm. And the last time there was this much carbon and this much heat in the atmosphere, the sea level was, you know, 40 feet higher. So that stuff is already starting to turn up in the actuarial tables of the reinsurance industry, and it'll be in the insurance industry within eight years. So if you own property in Florida, let's say a state with 70 million people, you're not going to be able to sell your property. Because let's say I'm halfway through a mortgage of $500,000 on a house in Florida that I'm, you know, the note is, comes up in 2026 and I can move, there's not going to be anybody to buy it because it can't be insured. So you're going to have a capital implosion in the United States because most of our money is tied up in real estate and the most expensive real estate is all within 50 feet of sea level. Mm -hmm. So that capital implosion will be happening at the same time as the Ogallala Aquifer literally runs out of water, which is a non-replenishable aquifer. Yeah. So you're going to have a food crisis and a capital crisis. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, we're not going to go, let's set aside $10 billion for renewable energy. Instead, it's going to be, let's buy more guns. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned that there, that there was a considerable gap in your life between the time you left the military and the time you got involved in, mm -hmm. act, in activism, yet, it, it, maybe this is not accurate, but it seems to me that at least in the public perception, uh, your involvement in activism has been viewed as uh, leading a team of veterans. Uh, you know, through Standing Rock or Flint or, 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 or whatever. But it was really how did how did that connection between your activism and and the veterans as a group come about? Well, I don't know. I mean, I grew up in the army, post Vietnam, um, moved around a lot, went to a lot of different kinds of school, served in the army for four years as an active duty officer. I was a cadet at ROTC at Georgetown. I mean, I know the military. I know the ethos and the values and the people who join, join so they can do something good in the world yeah, and that they're willing to put skin in the game and it was like how could we not put skin in the game to protect the lives of our very children and the people that we have a treaty with mm -hmm. so you who think also that the, serve the, with us. The, the vets have a, a predisposition uh, to get involved in causes like this you believe? Yeah well because what happens is look when you're in the service you're not supposed to express political opinions. Mm -hmm. We'll do anyway. And the service is heavily Republican. It's just what it's always been. It's an authoritarian power structure. It attracts authoritarians. Mm -hmm. um, but the average people, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it takes that base human impulse to put your life on the line for other people. That's what veterans have. And they did it for the Constitution, which is under threat which is being violated out there at Standing Rock, yeah. in addition to endangering us all by putting more hydrocarbons out there. Were you uh, ROTC at Georgetown? I was. I, I noticed at Georgetown, and I did a little reading before today, I, I was ROTC at Santa Clara. Oh, I know. So, Jesuit brothers, if you Oh, will. yeah. Well, I saw no difference when I was in the Army what anybody's uh, commissioning was. I found people to be really? equally capable, whether they were prior service, you know, uh, ROTC, West Point. 
I really even didn't see that much difference between guys that wore Ranger tabs and guys that didn't, at least among the officer corps and, and things like the cavalry and armor. Mm-hmm. I would agree with uh, the Naval perspective, Naval Academy, ROTC. It was all about how you, how you carried out your job mm-hmm. once you got your commission. So you, yeah. you, you were Navy? Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things of... Sorry for being late. You want a hand? No. If you're, uh, you know, the, to me, the key to leadership of people is to never have to order anybody to do anything. Yes. I mean, that's that's what a lot of people don't get who come out of the academies because they're they're living such a regimented life and they go into the service and they're the most rank conscious. And rather than being rank conscious, people should be position conscious because it's like... You're being an officer really doesn't mean jack shit if you're, if you're working a phone in the S1 shop compared to, you know, this, the guy of the same rank who's a company commander. I, I, I was also Army, but I, some years ago I, I crewed on a, a sailing boat off the Southern California coast. And, and, and the captain, I, I crewed on several boats, but the, the, the skipper who was most effective was one who never gave an order mm-hmm. to the crew. He, he would always make suggestions. He would say things like, well, well let's come about in about 20 yards. You know, in rather than oh, prepare to come about. Much more effective. It's, it's like guys who, who lead through getting you to laugh and have a good time versus guys who lead through, like, you know, hey, right, right, you know, yelling command voice at you all. I think caper. But that was also an inherent problem with, because the veterans thing out there, I wasn't really in any control of it. I mean, I might have been the guy who put a call out, but it became out readily out apparent. Out there at Standing Rock, yeah, because uh-huh. it became readily apparent. Look, I was never going to get people to line up and go in formation and actually organize because we're all out of the service, and everybody thinks, oh, I know how to do all that shit. I don't need to follow anybody else. So it was just kind of, I don't know. It was like. Leaders would simply rise up where they were needed at the time, and that's pretty much what happened while we were out there. But any movement going forward, it all has to be a loose movement. And the danger in all these things that I saw out there and that, I've, that I saw as well on my father's presidential campaign, because we started out with a lot of grassroots support, is people who aren't used to exercising power or leadership wreck shit when they walk in. You know, so the, your worst nightmare would be having a guy who was an E3 or E4 in charge of a group of people out there because they think being hard to people and angry to people is the same thing as leadership, and it's not. That happened on our bus, <clears throat> on our bus ride up. Bus ride up from? From Los Angeles to Standing Rock. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, we sorted every, it out, but yeah, no, it was... It, I've seen it happens in the political world, it happens in, in activism, it happens in everything because it's why military academies existed and why people pushed things like being a gentleman because you have to be somewhat of a gentleman to be a responsible leader. You have to think of other people. You have to like think about the mission instead of yourself. Yeah. So we... I read a little bit about your proposed action in Washington. Uh, after Standing Rock and Flint, where do you go from here? Hey, can, I, can I rewind a little bit? Because I, sure. I definitely want Rich to hear. 
um, about the DC action, but I know we touched on it when I was driving, mm -hmm. but what, what exactly happened in Flint after Standing Rock? Well, nothing yet. Okay. We've, uh, we've got a group of people out there. They've got some money for it. They've made contact with people on the ground. They're mm -hmm. coming up with different solutions, everything from rainwater capture mm -hmm. to provide people's uh, water to, you know, protesting in the town. And But I'm not a part of that because I'm not an official part of the Veteran Stand organization. So Michael Wood's going to do that one on his own, and my guess is it'll be a combination of... Uh, they're also going to test everybody in Flint for their blood. They're going to oh. take samples and send it to labs to find out who's affected by the lead, who isn't. Did same thing with water samples from each residence. And then I'm sure they'll be doing protests up in Detroit as well as Flint. And Wes, I just want to introduce you. This is Rich Nielsen. This is Wes Pleasure. Jr. Nice Rich is you. the head of the optics division. Oh, right so, um, yeah, he's, he's the man, man My pleasure. Sorry I'm late. It's okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> Horrifying. We show up when we show up. Yeah. Yeah. As long as we keep showing up. Yeah, absolutely. So we were just kind of waiting until you got here, maybe Tristan to... Tristan should be here shortly. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. I don't know where Lauren is. She's coming late. <clears throat> okay. So she'll be here, but she's going to be here late. So we were just kind of talking a little bit about Standing Rock, but okay. I wanted Wes to um, wait to talk about his new action that he's calling for. Okay. see until you got here. Awesome. So we can talk a little bit further. And then also just about, you know, logistical things in Standing Rock right now, lessons learned, and things for... Yeah, well, you know, these young men are going to go, obviously, you know, and uh, represent the studio and uh, document, kind of try and document more the situation uh, as an overall, some of the infrastructure mm -hmm. ideas behind it, both in terms of how a camp is run and, you know, the logistics behind that, but then also the logistics to the other side, um, you know, the bigger mm -hmm. scope, the picture of the in particular the river because Lauren's project so much is about mm -hmm. water um, water and infrastructure and how it affects populations and people and souls and hearts and you know the work that you're doing and the work that the, the other the water protectors are doing so um, but also with that being said it's pretty important that um, just from the standpoint of the studio that these two are well aware of what they're getting into, and obviously Will's been there before, mm -hmm. but it's a fuck of a lot colder. It's actually really warm out there right now. Oh, okay. Good. That's well, that's it's, good. That's it's a good thing. frighteningly warm. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's like well. 60 degrees in the middle of February in North Dakota. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. exactly what it is. That doesn't mean it may not yeah. be a blizzard. It might turn around. And you, you want to hear the craziest stuff here out there. You know, the last night I was there, on the 6th, that morning, a cloud seeding plane crashed 30 miles away. You're kidding. And it had been in operation for three hours. It was reported by the Bismarck Tribune. So they went and they seeded the clouds as the blizzard came in to make it that much worse for us. You're kidding. The other no lesson learned... Way. And the plane crashed? The plane crashed, pilot died. Oh, oh my God. God. I had that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I first heard it, I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And then I did all the research, and no, that's really what they did. Because you have to think, the amount of money that's going through that pipeline yeah. is $700 million, what, a day? Yeah. Once it's completed? Yeah. So, and you think, what does it cost to keep all those security forces out there? Yeah. I'm sure they're charging $1,000 a day for yeah. each guy, even though the guys are probably only getting paid 200 
But so a thousand dollars a day, they got at least a hundred guys out yeah. there with equipment. So you're talking a hundred thousand dollars a day minimum mm -hmm. that they're spending, probably two or three hundred a day. And what does it cost to hire a couple assholes to infiltrate the camp? Yeah. So we had paid infiltrators that came in that were that were part sure. of Tiger Swan, the security service. Mm -hmm. We were able to find out who they were by basically checking their Facebook and Twitter feeds. Hmm. Once they're already in, you'd see, okay, there's a couple standing rock feeds. Oh, and then there's all this neo-Nazi stuff below it. So right. we got infiltrated by a bunch of neo-Nazis. Um, they, on the night of the 6th, cut the ropes on one of the tents and lit it on fire and had a had a photography crew there with a satellite. Oh, so plate. that's where that photo came from? That's where that photo came from. They literally cut the tents and lit it on fire and then were there with a crew right. to film it right after. Right. They'd been dumping garbage from Morton County into Camp Ossetti wow. for the last week so they can then that. spread the story. Oh, yeah. the disgusting, dirty yeah. protesters. It's, right. So it's, what, what, what would be the point of, of filming the burning tent from their point of view? Their point of view is you got all these vets out here and you've endangered their lives and you know the weather itself is turned against you. right it was wow. all it's all everything is done at each stage to describe the movement you have people paid full time doing this we had um and we had a lot of help from anonymous and other white hat hackers and stuff like that they yeah. were violating all kinds of fcc regulations out there they use uh a cell phone tree, like a private cell phone tree that steps down everybody's service and amounts to it's like a kill switch of your phone so they can shut your phone off at any time. Where's that they, operated out of? It's directly across the bridge. Really? There's a stingray mounted in the vehicle at really? the end of the bridge in the LRAD. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at everybody's phones, they have facial recognition software on the bridge, taking pictures of everybody and calling out their names. Mm -hmm. um, as it happens, um, you know, they took down drones and hijacked drones, yeah. which is also an FCC violation. They, yeah. they flew over the camp and sprayed what people think may have been rat poison in the camp in November. Um, you know, they will do anything and everything. And yeah. it's all, what happened was after during the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, we built up a huge reservoir of contractors, okay, yes. from Blackwater to the rest of these organizations. And with the wind down of the conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan, these people are all looking for work. And of course, who hires them? The oil industry hires them. Mm -hmm. So they're hiring mercenaries to repress American citizens at home and essentially these people are engaged in private co-intel operations against American citizens expressing their First Amendment rights. Yeah. And they're a direct danger to the Republic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is Tristan. Hello. This hey, how are you, Tristan? Good to meet you. Tristan Duke. Sorry, I'm running late. So it's a, it's a whole host of issues that we're up against. Yeah. But when I first got involved in activism, I guess the most obvious thing was that the way change has been working for years under the present system is there's a collection of NGOs, each has a specific silo of expertise, usually two to three compete in each small field, mm -hmm. but the enemy they're up against is a monolithic enemy. It's the hydrocarbon industry, it's the wealthy, wealthiest, most powerful industry in the world. 
and it's backed by the pharmaceutical industry, well, agribusiness industry. I, 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 yeah, I, I was about to challenge your assertion yeah. about most so, powerful industry of the so world these, by bringing up pharma. These things are these things are tied together. Yeah. Uh, they're tied together over the need for hydrocarbons. They're tied yeah. together in they all contribute to the exact same PR firms and direct you know, corporate action firms and create AstroTurf and everything like that. And when individual NGOs go up against them for issues, they're outspent and they're crushed. It's like, you know, this is Gulliver and we're going at him one Lilliputian at a time. Well, then they link it to democracy. They mm -hmm. link it to the actual system in which they think or they feel like they're contributing to and that we are all supposed to sort of bend over for mm -hmm. and, and, and applaud their... Uh, uh, the hard work they've yeah, done? the great acts of, of, uh, of citizenry. Well, let me, I know a bit about the oil industry because my dad tried to get oil deals for a couple of years and I have mm -hmm. a friend who has an export license for natural gas from mm -hmm. the state. Now, my friend had no experience in the oil business, but he's a smart guy and went to NYU Business School. And when he found out they were going to be doing export terminals, he got with two of his African-American friends from business school, so it could be a minority-majority company, mm -hmm. and spent $2,000 on a lease on a dock in Houston, and boom, he has an export license. Right. Yeah. And he can then use that export license to accrue capital, and he's been trying to work with the Koch brothers in Chinese business to get a big export terminal built out of Houston. Yeah, sure. um, I will tell you that the amount of money that is coming out of these oil projects is most Americans don't have any concept of. $700 million a day. Mm -hmm. And when you think of that $700 million a day, who does it go to? goes to like six or seven people. Mm -hmm. yeah. And those six or seven people are prepared to use, to corrupt the law and use law enforcement to kill and injure American citizens so they can have more money. I mean, that's really what it comes down to because there's no oil crisis in the United States. Well, they're willing we don't, to start international wars. Yeah. yeah. Or even think of, look, what, what happened was post-World War II, you had the United States suddenly inflamed and secure concerned about the Russians and about the global economy. And our first international business in the United States was the oil business. Mm -hmm. So of course, our intelligence services co-located with the oil industry from the very start. And the Dulles brothers tied everything together in a post-World War II regulatory world where the hydrocarbon industry is so heavily funded and sponsored by the government that its true cost of a barrel of oil is not known. If you think, what is our, why do we spend billions and why have we killed millions in the Middle East for Saudi Arabia, which is the country that actually attacked us on 9-11 and, and funded and founded ISIS and has spread this Wahhabist wow. Islam around the world. Why? Because it's oil money for specific people. Why is, why is Trump doing all this? Well, because he's a Russian tool. I mean, if you look at how Putin has operated in Europe for 20 years, I mean, he basically bought off the Germans with uh, Helmut Kohl and Gerhard Schroeder by giving them huge stakes in Gazprom. So he made them billionaires to get Germany to play along. Mm -hmm. It's all about hydrocarbons. Because what happens is, and as we told ourselves in the press over and over again, right after 9-11, oh, oil corrupts countries and oil leads to Tyrion. And yeah, it does. Right here at home, first. 
we're bringing home all these military methods we deployed against other people overseas to home against Americans who don't want to be poisoned. Yeah. And it's crazy. Yeah. The, 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 the fracking industry and the, the poisoning the groundwater and the, you know, the sort of, you know, the division of, uh, mm -hmm. of Southeast Asia and, and all that. And the, and the dehumanization yeah. has already begun on their political opponents. Yeah, and in fact, there's no criticism are, at all no. towards Saudi Arabia. None. None. And, you know, they both, it's the, the flow of cash comes out of there, and as does the, the, the pricing for oil. Mm -hmm. so. so I got involved with this mainly out of environmental concerns, but with everything we're facing. I mean, I have constitutional concerns now to go along with those environmental concerns. And I, I honestly... I don't think we can... I don't we think can't we last four years. Yeah, mm -hmm. we can't. But those two things are now totally entwined with each other. And I don't think, you know... I, I think you can also look at what they did to, um, to Occupy Wall Street to discredit them, too, you know, back in those it's, days. It's easy, because, look, yeah. if you're... I mean, we've all learned <laughs> over and over again in life trying to do good in the world, it doesn't pay that well. Um, but if you're trying to do bad, people will shell out millions of dollars mm -hmm. for you to defraud people and defame them and sue them and make their lives hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, how much money are we spending locking up hundreds of water protectors in North Dakota and putting them through a trial system? Absolutely, Millions yeah. of dollars. Yeah. And trying them over and over again. Mm -hmm. Jailing them. You know, it's, it's crazy. But also just, you know, the money also spent, spent on the military to do private business. Oh, enormous. Look, huge. Every one of those fleets yeah. that's off the coast of Saudi Arabia is being paid for with our money to yeah. subsidize a private person's profits. Right now. And those private people are making $100 and $200 million a month. Yeah. That's how much money. And what they do is they sock it all overseas or in, or in hidden bank accounts. And then they just sit on it. And when small business sits around and complains that they're not getting any kind of uh, tax breaks, well, the money that they're paying into mm -hmm. taxes is going to pay for that fucking endeavor. It is. So if we weren't paying for that endeavor, all that money would be freed up. It's I nuts. Know. It's crazy. No, it's, it's, uh, it's that thing that we've all known for years and everyone's like well eventually there's going to come a day of reckoning and guess what it's here <laughs> it's yeah here. They, they put him in office the you know the the, the white supremacists yeah he's there right now yeah. so we have to do something about that and everything else but i think the energy that comes from this has you know really activated an awful lot of people but it doesn't need to be directed Mm -hmm. you know, it needs to well, come, that's needs to become come together under a direction. That's that's what's going to be both difficult because it's unlike previous times of political conflict. <laughs> because the means of communication are open and everyone has them, nobody controls the spigot mm -hmm. or the loudspeaker. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, they won't. Nobody will because human uh, nature. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Both. Mm -hmm. I mean, on the one hand, it'll, it means a movement that'll be more chaotic, um, but it also will be able to act on targets of opportunity, and it'll diffuse some of the legal threat and 
personal violence threats against mm -hmm. people because you can't target 4,000 leaders, but you can easily yeah. target 10. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, the nature of online interaction is if one person becomes very popular, then everybody will be devoted to tearing that person down. Mm -hmm. So you'll never, that like Martin Luther King or Gandhi will never emerge. It'll have to be lots of little kind of demi-Martin Luther Kings and Gandhis all over the place. Well, look at the trashing Black Lives Matter gets. Oh, it's yeah. every, because it's, it's a concerted propaganda yeah. campaign. Yeah, it and is. it's been going on for 20 or 30 years, yeah. and it comes from people who don't live in multicultural worlds, right. who are generally isolated in the Midwest and in yes. the South, who project everything they see in Hollywood and read, you know, hear about in Fox News onto the rest of the world. Yeah. Without understanding it. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> we spent an evening with the InfoWars guy. Yeah. The red faced dude. Yeah. Who it was really, it's really nuts. Good. And there's, you know, people, people crying and hug, trying to hug him. And it's just and, like. And we all grew, you know, or some of us grew up reading the Weekly World News and knowing that that's trash. And this guy is actually peddling the same shit as news. And he is now allowed to go to White House to the White House to to sit in on on press briefings. No, they've spread the belief that there is a genuine satanic child raping yeah. conspiracy that affects every person in the world yeah. with any kind of political or economic power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they honestly believe this. Yeah, yeah, they do. It's it's, it's really worrying. <clears throat> so then, what's your next step? Well, I think things are not going to end well in Standing Rock next week. I think it's likely yeah, that there will be at least a death. You think so? I think so. Well, think about it. You've yeah. got the National Guard, BIA, Morton County Sheriffs are all going to be told the president wants this pipeline built. And he's sick of these liberal, libtard, mm -hmm. anti-American traders, yeah. snowflakes, yeah. and go in there and clear it out. Who cares what they do? Yeah. Um, so what I'm going to do is, and I mean, hopefully other people will do it with me. Mm -hmm. Um, at the end of March, I'm going to call together, like without a protest permit, like a mass religious kind of spiritual pilgrimage to DC, where we're just going to walk silently in a circle from dawn to dusk around, you know, about a eight or nine mile course that goes past like Arlington Cemetery and... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Capitol and mm -hmm. White House and everything, mm -hmm. and then at night everybody get together and break so bread and come March? up with ideas. End of March, okay. and then the last day will come April first, which is the Fire the Fool protest. Yeah. yeah. So I, the guy who came up with the idea with me was a guy named J.R. Redwater, who's a stand-up comedian and a member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, mm -hmm. who was out there a lot. J.R. Redwater. I think we heard him. Um, J.R. was at my house. Oh, he was? He came by. Okay. He might have left before he showed okay. up. Um, and, you know, we both look at it through a spiritual lens. So we were thinking about the book of Joshua and the fall of the walls of Jericho. Mm -hmm. So it's six days in silence, and the seventh day we do music, and that'll coincide right. with the big yeah. protest. But yeah. the big thing is to, it's to get everybody unplugged for a week. Yeah. So they're not talking. They're not on their phone. They're not staring at the screen. They're not reacting to the next crisis, mm -hmm. and they can think. But also, it's the idea. Really and then the idea, you know, the, and then you make the physical sacrifice, and people think better when they're moving. And then mm -hmm. at night, yeah. 
they can break bread with people from Hindus, Jews, Muslims, other people that come. Because I think that somehow, <laughs> I think somehow it's important to like break out of the dialectic. You, you know what I mean? Like there's this kind of action reaction mm-hmm. and you know, the more that the left is pushed into a responsive Reactive That's place. precisely yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything becomes all all the um, lines start pointing back to Trump, you know, mm-hmm. basically, and and he succeeded. And you know, even any liberal uh, media, they're no longer talking about positive agendas or discussions that they should be having. They're talk they're talking about Trump. So basically, any dictator like Trump could could potentially become. It's a it's a per, it's a cult of personality, mm-hmm. and they create a situation where it's no longer about issues; it's a referendum on the person. And then and then then that's when you get this situation where people come out and they're like, "Trump's our guy," yeah. you know. And and then he can say no wrong. You can't you can't have a discussion with someone about whether that's right or wrong. It's just our team is the one that's going to win, and it's it's very much just kind of on that like tribal level or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um, well, that's why we got to deactivate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I want to use faith to deactivate them. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's a very Christian, and what I tried to do out at Standing Rock was kind of follow the gospel out there. Yeah. What passes for modern Christianity in the United States today, I mean, if you were to truly look at it, I mean, yeah. it's, it's anti-Christianity. Because yeah. yeah. I don't remember yeah. Jesus being like, all right, white people, it's us versus them. Yeah, and no. by the way, get those deserving poor, give me some more of their money. Yeah. Like, that wasn't how it was supposed to go down. Yeah. And the message is right there in the book. And instead what's happened is people are poisoning everyone's mind by thinking these people are somehow, A, represent what actual patriotism is, and B, represent what Christianity is. Yeah. It's like they're wearing a false robe for what they're pushing for. So. Our job, or what I feel is my job, is to wake them up to this. Mm-hmm. Are you guys familiar with the, the writer and philosopher Stuart Brand? Have you ever read any of his stuff? So he he's a really interesting thinker. He he was responsible for a thing called the Whole Earth Catalog. Yeah. Oh, oh I remember that very well. Yeah, yeah. 60s and 70s. And, right. you know, was kind of like the catalyst for a whole sort of countercultural... But it... But, but it but a slightly different motivated countercultural. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. See, it wasn't. It was a. It was a different kind yeah. of take on the whole thing, and it was because he was spiritual too. He, he was about spirituality, and he yeah. was also talking about like solar power, yeah. and environmental and stuff. And it wasn't superficial. You know, one of his early things was showing the the photograph of the Earth. Yeah. You know, um, as a, a symbol to motivate. But interdependence. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, yeah, he was, exactly. He was an early person in what you know, systems thinking, basically. Yeah. But one of the ideas that came out of some of Stuart Brand's work, um, and actually it was more his work in architecture and looking at um, engineering of how we build built environments, like buildings. He came up with this. Um, this concept that's called, um, I 
I want to say it's called shear layers or, or something like that. But basically, the idea is that there's, you know, and he was looking at buildings. So, like in a building, you have different rates of change. Basically, one way to look at a structure is that there's different levels of, of uh, basically, the uh, the wavelength of change in a sense. So, on the like most stable level, you have like the site. You know, you have the bedrock that the building is built on, and you know the neighboring, you know, the neighborhood, the layout of the streets. But then you have like the structure of the building, the skin of the building, the furniture inside the building, and how those rooms are used. So a, a lot of people have taken Stuart Brand's this concept and now applied it to social scale. And I think it's kind of interesting what you were saying about slowing down because. Um, I heard a talk that Stuart Brand gave at the Interval in San Francisco, and he was talking about basically on a political level, you also have these layers, and there's there's what he's kind of designated as um, fashion, I guess you could say, is the fastest oscillating layer. So you have fashion and art, so you have like things things that change by the season or even by the day. So we might even put like social media in there at the, at the top. And then as you go down, you have businesses, you have education, you have family structure, and government is supposed to be slow. That's, that's one of the interesting things that he comes out of, that comes out of this model, is this idea that actually you have catastrophic effects when a, a layer that's supposed to move slowly moves fast. You know, here we're very familiar with what happens when the tectonic plate, when the bedrock actually starts oscillating at the at the level of fashion. You know, it's changing by the minute. You know, and so it's interesting to think Donald Trump, and uh, you know, he, this talk that he gave was before Trump. It was this summer, and it's like it's very interesting to see how Trump is actually literally bringing. The, the oscillation, the pace of social media into government, and that's, I think that's an important uh, point to bring up, and I don't know how to counter that, or, I do. but, you know, to talk about how things, yeah. we need to slow down. Well, one, one way to do it is to involve the courts. Yeah, that's a that's a big way as long as the courts work. I don't think the courts will work after the first terrorist yeah. attack, mm -hmm. and that's coming. And we all know it's coming. Well, also, Trump is poised. Well, it's either a terrorist attack or it's going to be or a war. war. Trump is poised to be able to to basically uh, nominate uh, a majority of yeah. the federal courts. Yeah. You know? Now, it's not just the Supreme Court. No, no, it's well, all the way Supreme down. Court has been getting all the attention, but there's all the. My personal view towards this is Trump is simply the example of the failure of the system as a whole over time. I, I haven't read this fellow's books. I have my own personal theory on organizations, which is like the three-generation theory, is the institution comes about because of a need at that particular time. The next generation are the organization men, the people that we had in the 60s and 70s who run the machine. And the third generation, they're there for drugs and hookers. And we're in the drugs and hookers <laughs> evolution of our society right now. Yeah, I think it's like mm -hmm. end game. I it's end game. It's cool end game. And it's, it's now about and it's and grab. Take as and much as yeah. any movement cannot just be about getting rid of Trump. Yeah. No, no. It's Personally, for me, 
I'm going to try and build something like a Chonsky Fordham in 1989 and take out the whole fucking system because it's broken, it's corrupt, and we're going to kill ourselves fighting about ideological issues from the 1960s which don't fucking exist now. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it. If I can get back to the, the veteran's point of view, do you think that that call to arms or, or, or that appeal that you speak of is uh, distinctively attractive to veterans? I think it would be distinctively attractive to veterans and millennialist religious people. How, what's the connection there? They're both two groups of people who will go out and do things for no personal benefit to themselves. So the reason the Republicans have won election after election is because they've concentrated on conservative Christian movements where these people are able to show up for a couple hours every Sunday to give money and usually be bored a lot of the time mm -hmm. for something that is not a material reward. And if you can get them to do that, you can get them to show up on Tuesday to vote. Mm -hmm. um, my view is the left misjudged everything in this country by going totally the opposite instead of using spirituality and Christianity, which all of the leftern, leftist doctrines espouse, I mean, as a core, which is take care of the poor, be kind to people, be forgiving. I mean, these are all like the gospel. My view is, is that what the left got caught up in is uh, a... a appealing to people through identity politics to serve their own selfish interests. True, true, but mixed in with it was a general hostility towards religion among those very groups which drove out people who ideologically would have been with us okay. over years. And why, do you th why, did, why did you make reference to uh, millennial people of religion? No, not millennials, millennialists. People who okay. think we're living in the end times. Ah, ah, okay. Sorry. Which, technically, we are. Yeah. I mean, according to every scientist, we're going to go extinct within 30 or 40 years. So we are technically living in the end times. So anybody who understands the threat is going to rise up to it are the first people you want to appeal to. Yeah. You said, I'm going to take down this system, or I'm paraphrasing. Why not we? Because it's my personal mission. Everybody I want to feel that same way, that it's their personal mission. And when I think about how to set this thing on fire, ideologically, is because we've all watched movie after movie after movie our whole life, and every movie is the same. It's all the hero's journey. And so it's a matter of each person wanting to be that hero and activating it so that now is the time we have to do it. Like, we've seen it, we've seen the training program in every movie our whole life, and even more in modern movies, where it's, there's literally something in the sky that's going to kill all of us, and everybody's ready to do anything they can to stop that thing in the sky. Well, that thing in the sky is there right now. Yeah, I mean, I think we do need, we do need heroes, but we also need, you know, when you look at successful revolutions, it's basically when a broader swath of the population comes out, then, you know, I mean, it's one thing, there's the people who are going to wear their kind of like anarchist t-shirts and uh, show up, you know, and wear the Guy Fox masks and, you know, 
they're not the guys and, we want. And the, and the thing is, like that actually works against our cause. You know, mm -hmm. there was someone on, on oh, yeah. NPR, terrible, a commentator who said the more that these protests look like PTA meetings, the better. Uh, right. mm -hmm. You know, and actually, oh yeah, the women's march was perfect. That's, yeah. that's yes, true. It, was, it was middle of the road, kind of boring. Yeah, when, when <laughs> you, you know, perfect. It, it, I think we need to Civilized. be really careful yeah. about the romance of revolution because actually Absolutely. The, yeah. the real revolution it, it we need to be really skeptical about the people who want that kind of thrill of mm -hmm. the you know building the barricade and throwing the Molotov cocktails. It's over once that happens. Look historically you're fucked. If you use way. violence you have a five percent chance. I mean look That's at it. Look at look at yeah. MLK. You know, a lot of what they did was just they they basically were showing on TV. People were seeing down home, simple, yeah, everyday everyday people showing up and just being there and being nonviolent mm -hmm. and and speaking and and you get an authority when you speak from a place of truth. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so it's. You And the left definitely was making fun uh, in certain areas of people who had a very kind of specific religion. And besides missing the missing the populist idea of the working class. Well, I think um, I think we also, you know, it's a tricky game, sort of the blame thing. I mean, also, uh, religious. Another way to look at that, though, is to say that religious leadership in this country did not step up to embrace the progressive agendas that were happening. You know, we did not have strong enough leadership and statements coming out of the church. Well, I also think church is. I also think that that's because the left is so fractured that there's many voices and everybody picks kind of there. And, you know, it's interesting because, like, we went and saw Naomi Klein talk about this idea uh, of specialization of, of uh, revolution and specificity of a collective um, uh, directness. Yeah. And uh, the difficulty it is to be able to manage both, you know. And a lot of the big social movements have been have many ideologies behind it but one goal right. in one direction and and I think you can also say that Trump Trump personifies not him as an individual but as an entire group of people who are taking a type of action that is end game it is about taking as much out of the planet as they can before they feel like a lot of people feel that the end of times takes place yeah and it can be metaphorical, it can be economic, it can be religious, it can be spiritual, whatever you want to attach to it. The thing is, whatever happens to us, the planet's going to keep spinning, and somebody, a little cockroach, will survive whatever, and, uh, and, and it doesn't really care in some ways. But it, this all matters to us. Yeah. 
you know, clean water matters to us than the animals. We're also we're also at a point where we're struggling. I, I think that it's it's easy to sort of forget that humans, humanity as a collective kind of self-awareness has not existed for that long. I mean, like, you know, if you if you rewind 200, 300 years, uh, you know, we did not have the same sense. I mean, we, we know what's happening on, you know, in a revolution in Syria, you know, that on Instagram right now. And, and we can see the humanity of people of all sorts of different cultures. We have a pretty broad understanding of our position on this planet. And I think it's really only in the last century that we have start, it started to dawn on the collective but human there's consciousness. This, there's a book that was written by a English um, traveler came to America to study, uh, you know, basically just after Jamestown. Yeah. Um, to study American, the idea of, of, of American uh, work ethic. And he toured the East Coast, and he came out with a book, it's about this thick, that says America's going to destroy the world at the pace that it's going because of the way it eats up sure. environmental. Sure, and, the, and there have been, the writing has been on the wall. I mean, there's been, you know, religious leaders and various people who, entire cultures who... Yeah, but this was this was somebody doing empirical right. observations. Yeah, and, and people have empirically basically observed that there is something called sustainability yeah. and that and a lot of traditional cultures essentially are models for and sustainability. sustainability. Yeah, but sustainable. but the thing that I'm saying is it's one thing to have kind of it's it's almost like you know, it, there's a the Zen kind of koan about, you know, first there was a mountain, then there was no mountain, and then there was a mountain again. It's like you have to, like, have this kind of, um, you know, basically, you have to go, you have to kind of go the, the journey and then come back again. And I, and I feel like it's one thing to realize that on kind of, like, this personal level, and then it's another thing to kind of, like, actually experience what it means for humanity to have an impact on a global level. And I think it's really only the last, you know, 50 years, we could say, that the majority of humanity is starting to see the effects. Wow, humanity can change weather. We can change the environment. We can eradicate entire species. You know, the, the first time that it was on record that we recognized, okay, we made a species go extinct is probably, you know, in the early 1800s, you know, where people realize, oh, we can actually kill off an entire species. Like, that's, it's not that see, long. They, they knew that in Spain and Portugal, too, because they knew that the that their uh, involvement in uh, South and Central America spread disease before their armies got in there. Mm -hmm. Sure. It made their job easier. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in the field of war, I mean, People have been ruthless. Yeah, but, but they wrote it down. They actually said, "Yeah, you know, we 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 are kind of a, this time bomb. We can come and set this thing off, and it will pre uh, do our work." But for I think us. I think even you know, in all of their acquisitiveness, that the conquistadors never imagined the possibility. For them, it was like a divine right. They yeah. were going in, and they Absolutely. were they were reaping and and taking these 
rewards, but I don't think that they ever would be able to conceptualize that continuing to do that, they would actually end up not having water to drink, not having air to breathe, not having uh, a, a natural environment that, you know, the, the weather systems anymore, having the climate change, having entire species of animals just disappear and die. I don't think that they, that, you know, there was, there was kind of more of a sense of, you know, nature was viewed as like red tooth and claw, yeah, like this like, kind of wild and, and unconquerable, you yeah, know. versions of exceptionalism, uh, yeah. you know, all over. So all I'm well. saying is that I think it's actually a new problem, relatively speaking, for us, you know, Stuart Brand, again, to have that snapshot of the shape of the earth, that, yeah. that the earth is, a, is this ball, and we've actually seen it with, you know, I haven't seen it personally, but I've seen a photo of it, so I tend to believe that it actually is a sphere floating in space. And we haven't known that for that long. You know, it wasn't that long ago that people could have all sorts of metaphysical ideas about where animals come from, where, you know, resources, you know, oil is a gift from God, you know, it's it, gold is a is a gift from God, you know, but now we know that it's a there's it's finite. You know? <laughs> yeah, but there's a, there's a whole bunch of people out there right now who are refusing to yeah, that's, acknowledge that's that they the probably that's know that. That's the struggle right now. Yeah, because certainly all the climate deniers that are in office, they all know it. So yeah. no, they all know. They yeah. all know it. They're, so it's kind of it's kind of ironic because in in a sense, like science prides itself on empiricism and uh, you know sort of the scientific there, you know, just, things just the idea yeah. of this drilling and, and going underneath the river the, the, the idea that we are willing to sacrifice how many millions downstream drinking water 20 million yeah. people at least you know and, and, and probably more yeah, well, just the air yeah. yeah just the air I mean we are toast yeah in the very near term future yeah from this stuff mm -hmm. yeah but that's why I think it's got to go beyond you know the system needs to be changed. I mean, that's what climate, we need to address it like World War II, like it's a planetary <clears throat> emergency. Mm -hmm. We need to put business, you know, labor, academia, all these things together to solve the problem. Yeah. And if we don't do it, we're dead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, well, and, and certainly our mission as artists working with Lauren is is that as well, you know, and, and, and I think the idea of spirituality, um, everybody has their version, but we, we come at it from that as well. Well, I thought, I don't know, I thought that was the strongest part about Standing Rock. The spirituality. spirituality there. Yeah. I mean, it well, was... How so? How so? Yeah, go ahead. It felt physical. I, mean, I don't know if you felt it. I, I felt, and I, I felt it in the moment, the, kind of the reason I asked that IOD question was like, the moment that we went from becoming individuals to we marching together, we became one body. Mm -hmm. It was the most powerful moment I can conceive of. Yeah, yeah. check and see. And if I think that's what's happening there on a mass scale. Right. You start as soon as you walk through that threshold. Alan. You're yeah. entering an, another dimension of existence, which yeah. you yeah. become the we. Yeah. We go from the I culture to the we culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the I culture has been incredibly destructive. And I, I think you know, part of what he was saying about the training that we've received 
and it's not just Hollywood. It's not just the movies. It's the products, oh, it's the everything. commercials, and the it's this thing. The, the clothing, yeah. branding, and everything. There's so much pressure in this culture to be an identity, to yeah. be an eye. And you're, and, like, and you're the worst fashion hog, you know. But, yeah. yeah, and this ties in with the whole con- it ties in with the whole conversation, and and you know, like I'm not speaking for native communities, indigenous communities, obviously, but what what I have observed in in the visits there and with a friend there who's Lakota is that they've known all these things we're talking about in their culture for so long. So what we talked about with, you know, domination of animals and, uh, and of the yeah. species and then learning the lessons of extinction. Yeah. They knew how to connect with the land and learn those lessons over millennia. Yeah. And that's why if you ask, you know, if you ask me, and it doesn't matter, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, the movement is going to come from that mm-hmm. level of spirituality or that level of uh, wisdom, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, or connection. Yeah. And, and then transform outward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and bravery. And that's what all of us are in on that. Yeah. You know, all of us are in on that. And that's going to be a massive process. Yeah. yeah. And I think, we, I think, you know, like, one thing that I struggle with every day is, like, how do I bring myself into that process as, as people would say, in a good way? in a way that's not going to violate the very thing I'm actually trying to achieve, you know, mm-hmm. because it's easy to come in with an intention. So, I, you know, I'm still figuring that out as, mm-hmm. as, as trying to be a player in, this, in all this, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Just the fact that you guys are doing it, you know, that that, that, that is something and that the world can witness your transformation. It's... It's, that's really important for people to know that you guys have come together to protect people who are also protecting and everybody's working together. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, so I don't know if you know, Lauren did that project, uh, 100 Mules Walking the Aqueduct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she yeah, brought the mules we talked about it. They had that experience collectively doing that walk at a very slow pace. Uh, people from different, really different walks of life, all coming together and hitting a type of spiritual synergy that was, uh, Lauren talks about that all the time, This that it was, she was hit really hard physically every day yeah. by the spirituality of the endeavor. I mean, in that casino, during that blizzard, it was like, it was like you were part of a Bible story. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. And we were all, I mean, me, everybody I went there, we all have like off the charts PTSD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So for us, it felt like a cure yeah. uh, to I, a certain point. It, when I was marching that blizzard, like the tears were just coming down. Right. It was like. Yeah, we cried every day. Like, yeah. All yeah. the time. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. No, it's amazing. But it's also, it's need for that spirituality, and this, this ties in with the native religion too, is it reinforces your bravery. Because we all get pulled into the day-to-day in our lives, and I gotta pay the bills, mm-hmm. I gotta custody of the kids, and you know, and yep. this guy took my fucking parking space. And did. it's instead of like, you know, and since then I've, I've read the Bible, like, like when you look at something like Psalm 27, like 
the Lord is the light of my salvation, whom should I be afraid? It's about steeling yourself against the fear and destruction that's going to be wielded against you. Because if you're on the right side of this, we're all going to be punished mm -hmm. by the powers that be. And you need that faith to get you through the punishment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, we definitely don't want to get into the situation where we, where we let these people continue on the path that they're on. <coughs> and our next series of wars are over water. Yeah, but that's that's the that is the end game. That's the final. Yeah, that's it the has final to be organized it's before stop before then. And just from Lauren's work in Detroit, just to share a little bit, yeah. um, you know, being on the ground there, Lauren sent a group of us full-time members of her team in to figure out what was going on in Detroit. Like, get in there, go to the neighborhoods, get bicycles, talk to people, do water drop-offs on the front porch, and we did that. Mm -hmm. And you know, and it's still going on. And then she sent me into the churches and another team member to talk to choirs and get choirs to come and to sing and to record an album about water and water's a human right. And I could only get part of the choirs to come because the ones who were getting funding from the city or were on city land were too afraid. Water mm -hmm. and the water shutoffs were not spoken about by the ministers and the priests. It was just like shut down. As soon as you said water, it was like, you're gonna yeah. you know, have to go yeah. back in. And again, it was that fear, like they're going to take our money away. They're going to take away our congregation. They're, they're what they're going to do back. is they're going to use economic tools to ethnically cleanse that land yes. for sale. That's yes. why they're not fixing the water. Yeah. It's to drive those yes. people out. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. sort of <coughs> this, this idea that, that somehow that uh, Trump was going to do infrastructure work. Infrastructure no. work. <coughs> pipelines. Pipelines. Yeah, so just to keep an eye on the time, um, it's 10 of 2. How much more time I do I got 10 minutes. Us? 10 minutes. Oh, my gosh. All right. So Maybe 12. 12. 12 minutes. Any any questions for standing No, it's just spe spectacular yeah. that you're here. We're very yeah. excited that uh, um, uh, Red and Will are, are, are going to. So you're feeling that the end as far as uh, being driven off the land by the feds will be by the 22nd. Yeah. And it will be harsh. Mm -hmm. That's my gut feeling. Yeah. And and everybody who's there now is committed to stay to that day. A lot of them. And yeah. Veteran Stand is going to try and flex in an additional two to 300 vets in the final 48 yeah. hours yeah. without publicizing it. So because they're afraid if they publicize it, the camp will get raided immediately. Right. Well, what are you feeling as far as uh, you know? Because obviously, this is a this 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 is not the only fight. You know, you you're, you're going to mount this walk. But every but here's the thing: is what was great about the experience was when they went home, eight or nine different organizations were born out yeah, of absolutely. all of this being up there. and connectivity. And it's yeah. that it's that. And I guess the biggest lesson learned is what we're competing against, the mercenaries, the PR companies. They all have to have meetings every day. Yeah. And they have to schedule things. Yeah. And we're all moving it so fast, and the connections between us are so random. Yeah. I mean, even all of us in this room, what are our real connections in life? Yeah. That someone could, that an intelligence officer could say, why are these ten people talking together? Yeah. And then why did they? Because. We were able to do this because we move so quickly. Mm -hmm. and it was most impressive. I, I mean, have to say. we that don't need wonderful. meetings. Yeah. We don't need approval. We don't need to follow 
any kind of plan other than get people to hear by this time. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So, so Austin, with your talks through Johnny, have you heard, like, does he feel like there could be a violent end on the 22nd as well? I mean, oh, he hasn't talked about violence. <clears throat> He's I'm talked curious, about yeah. the next steps after Standing Rock. Yeah, I'm curious right. what his sense yeah, is. What like. is his, what yeah, what is he saying, next steps? Well, he sent me a very straightforward text which said, Standing Rock is done, the Great Sioux Nation is rising. Right, right. right. And I said, Roger that. Something big's happening today because I got two phone calls already from out there. Mm -hmm. And he said, prepare for the next steps. And They're yeah. going to declare sovereignty, real sovereignty. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And part yeah. of that is also bringing the message broad. And this is something Not he... Sovereignty would be... This is a process he started before Standing Rock. Yeah. You know, and was trying to actually gain traction. Yeah. Actually out here in California, too. Yeah. And well, then, I was in Canada yeah. during, you know, the, the, the uh, sovereign talks with mm -hmm. the different nations there and, and the success that they had and the failures that they had. So, you know, it would be fantastic here. Mm -hmm. And these are the exact conversation types of spaces that, that people like Johnny are advocating for where we can create a culturally safe place yeah. where there's no defined leader we all are able to come from our own worldviews, but have an equal say, kind of like a round table. Mm -hmm. um, and the, and he's, he wants to do that as a larger mm -hmm. collection, bring like, you know, communities out to have these discussions. Yeah. So yeah. that we can start not looking at the outcomes, but more so the methods. Right. Yeah. Starting with that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's multiple that. methods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's no, like, a, totally. like yeah. I'm sure he knows Red Wolf. Red Wolf is putting together both because he was working with Arvel and uh, he's part Shoshone and part some group from up around Seattle. And they're building a digital tribe. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that one of these tribe loose membership roles is you allow everybody to join the tribe. Mm -hmm. So you build a tribe of millions. The land goes into joint stuff. Yeah. You, all have special rights, you all help each other out, you help each other, because what's different between us and the natives is they help each other out. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like on a personal level. No, no, the, 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 again, that idea of the of me, of being something that's been sold to us over generations as a positive thing and it has its perks, uh, has really been, has slowed us down to come together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, scrambling. Yeah, and it's because you want to protect me. It's you know. your ultimate divide and Absolutely. Yeah. I want to also be able to stay home and paint. Yeah. You know, so I'm not going to jeopardize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So, you know, these are these, well, are these things the that we thing, have though. to. Why do people continue to vote for, you know, even if people consistently will vote to support these kind of like, you know, Someone like Trump, for example, mm -hmm. they, I think there's a part, a corner of, of people's psychology. They want to hold out, it, Trump, you know, in a weird fucked up way, represents this kind of archetype of the self-made person, you know, even though that's not his story at all. But people like to imagine they could become that. You, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, and, and that maverick mentality, that like exceptionalism, is part of what fuels it. Like even if people are getting shafted by the system, it's like it's like pulling the um, you know the slot machine thing. It's like the motivator is the idea that you could win and and you could 
you know, that you could make it one of these days. And you're, you're right about the, uh, the, 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 the tapping into the religious folks that are willing to give up a few hours, more than a few hours every week to this thing. There's a lot of us that don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our time is very precious, we think. And, uh, and that's a lot of their anger towards the elite in yeah. Hollywood is, hey man, I've been sitting home going to church every weekend right. and yeah. uh -huh. I've only slept with two people in my whole life and that person's out there fucking hundreds yeah. and doing drugs and yeah. and they have money and I don't. And yeah. I've obeyed yeah. all the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's really good to see yeah. that. Yeah, to see that side, to understand their perspective. Mm -hmm. Totally, they feel mm -hmm. cheated. Yeah, no, they, mm -hmm. And I mean, and they are, but the only person they have to blame is themselves <laughs> and their local preacher. But yeah, yeah. even so, and, and a few other things. But, but they can't, the and time. it's also like you know, you said it's it's an identity thing. So yeah. like going to Georgetown, which is a pretty conservative school, you know, everybody has a reaction their sophomore year when they go through the colonialism courses and everything. And a lot of people, you like, this wasn't me, wasn't my fault, I didn't have anything to do with this get out of here, you blue-haired lesbian yelling at me that I'm a racist, whatever, and they immediately, boom, they're activated yes. in that political view for yeah. decades, yeah, they, yeah, maybe. Can't get them out. Because their own personal worth is wrapped up in the nation, which it was designed to in how we put together our educational system in the 20s or 30s anyway. Was, hey, you obedient retard, you are an American first, and you're going to obey, and you're going to do what we say, and if you're not, you're a commie. They can't think outside it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like Plato's allegory of the cave. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't know they're in the cave and that yeah. they're mm -hmm. reacting to shadows. We yeah. talk about the cave all the time. <laughs> we've talked a lot too at the yeah. studio, and a lot of us are researching it about adopting, you know, um, organizations in the red states and, and trying to sister city between Los Angeles, some places and organizations that are really at sea, you know, in the Deep South, where there's no Black Lives Matter, you know, in the, in the Corn Belt, mm -hmm. um, you know, looking at, you know, how can we, with the privilege that we have. Well, it's tough because all those people moved out here over the last 50 years. I'm from the Midwest. I mean, in the South. Most of my friends in L.A. are originally from the Midwest and the South. We're just people who are like, I don't want to live a bunch around these racist yeah. assholes, and yeah. I'm leaving. Yeah. And so over 50 years, that's... That's all that's left. You know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's... Um, it's, a, it's There's a lot of problems to try and deal with uh, and these strategies, but I do think what has been accomplished in Standing Rock is a one of the models that we can hopefully look at and use in moving forward. There's no real model for it. I mean, there was no real leadership. There was no real organization. It was an idea and a call based on shared cultural you know, values and how we look at it. People responded. Mm -hmm. um, and the press responded because they thought there'd be a lot of violence. <coughs> right. Mm, and, yeah. there and there wasn't. And there wasn't. Yeah. Leads and leads. Yeah. 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 What's so interesting with my relationship um, through grant making with Team Rubicon and contacting Jake Wood and saying, you know, you guys are excellent first responders, but are you going to do anything in Sand Rock? He's like, no. No. Nope. Apolitical. We had some guys out there from Team Rubicon, mm -hmm. some really good guys out there from Team Rubicon. Um, but as an organization, they're not going to get involved no. in the politics of it. No. Also, 
your alternative that you know you um, spearheaded was so exciting. But it was. But the thing is, I didn't do that much. Well, like I literally, I put a call out and I wrote an operation for him. That was it. And once we got there, it was everybody. Everybody just took charge of whoever they were with at the time. Wow. So because you can't really lead something anymore. Yeah. Plus, you know, on the subject of Team Rubicon, uh, they have enjoyed considerable success. I think in in working with veterans, trying to cope with post traumatic stress and things like that by 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 giving those veterans uh, a cause, if you will, a mission yeah, outside of themselves necessary. to become involved in, and it has helped those veterans uh, deal with their own demons. Have you noticed that kind of phenomenon at all in the work that you've been doing in terms of the activism? Yeah, because we're, we've all got PTSD. So we all felt that bond. I mean, what PTSD does, and I've had it for years, is you sit home alone and you kind of hide out and you're disconnected socially. And the very essence of military training encourages PTSD because you're trying to create a separation between your mind and your body. Your body's saying, dude, I'm not walking out into that field. But your training tells you, ignore what your body's saying, Deal with the pain, deal with the fear, yeah. Yeah. walk out there, and so you wind up producing post-traumatic stress disorder. That it manifested in my body, literally, when I got back from Iraq. I just came down with arthritis. Yeah. Like yeah. autoimmune. It, it yeah. breaks you down, man. Can and you, depression. Can you guys talk a little bit about the I-we question also in, in reference to PTSD and the veteran experience? Because I'm just realizing... You know, we've been talking a lot about how the culture encourages identity and, be, and like kind of being your own, expressing like an identity. But then you go into the military and it's all about being a we, being a part mm -hmm. of this team. And then you get out and you're back to all of a sudden there's no we. It's just you were paid to do a job and it's yeah, it done, sucks. you know. It sucks. You're alone. I mean, that's what I experienced. You're totally alone afterwards. You're... Your leadership in the military, at least in word, maybe not in deed, they're supposed to take care of you and be looking out for you. And they're usually the first ones to work and the last ones to leave, and they make sure everyone's taken care of, and it's the exact opposite in the civilian world where you're all individually exploited, and there's no network to help you. But, I don't know, I, I suffered for it for, from it for years before I realized what it was. Because everyone thinks, oh, I'm a man man, I can handle it. Right. And you can't. Yeah. I mean, everybody breaks eventually. It usually takes a decade before yeah. most people do something. Yeah. And what's this is Warren? Hey, Warren's Warren. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Welcome. Thank you. I'm actually, um, I have to go get my kids. Yeah. Nice school. to see you. Bring them. But, um, Austin can tell you everything. I mean, he was oh, no, I can't tell you everything. <laughs> 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 I'll say what I can, yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to just thank you for doing the mission, you know, oh, for putting it together. It's my pleasure. I mean, this um, is, I told you, this is my mission in life now. Yeah. It's like, and I looked at it simply as saving the environment. That's it. I want my kids to live. Yeah. But in order to get to that goal, um, there's an administration that's standing in the way of that. Yeah. 
and that they have to be removed if my kids are going to survive. I mean, I, I look at it logically in that yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, then, and then on the illog illogical side, I feel like I'm on a mission from God, like the Blues Brothers, but, <laughs> you know, bigger stakes. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Much bigger stakes. Yeah, Planetary stakes. Yeah. Wes, I really want yeah, to invite you to come down to Metabolic Studio. Yeah, I'm sure. I want to show you the print studio that we're doing in Torrance. <coughs> Maybe next maybe uh, next week I've got to do a protest down in San Diego on What's that? Uh, climate mobilization protest on the twenty on the twenty first in San Diego and then John Bolenbaugh. Did you get to see John's stuff when he was out at San Diego? I don't recall. Was he involved in the march on the toward the bridge? Or? No, he was the dude who was the whistleblower from the oil industry who was showing everybody his stuff, and he did a, put a film together. And this guy used to do oil cleanup in Michigan, and we have a screening for him on the nineteenth at uh, WME over here in Century City, oh, really? uh, five PM. William Morris and Deborah. Oh. They're going to show his movie, and it's the most powerful thing I've seen. In what time? On Friday? At, on, on Sunday. Sunday. At 5 p.m. at the William Morris Endeavor screening okay. room. I can, I can send you sure. on Facebook yeah. or something yeah, an invite, but it's his job was to clean up for oil spills. And he came back years later, and he found you actually can never clean up from an oil spill. And this town he's from in Michigan, literally everybody is dying of cancer, mm -hmm. uh, to include the pets, the fish, everything. Yeah, so when I spoke with the Army Corps of Engineers this week on the phone to Secretary Gibbs' office, they said, one of the last things they said to me after 45 minutes was, well, what oil spill has never been cleaned up? So they need, to have, they need to have that conversation. Oh, you, got to, you have to see this movie. I mean, he yeah. shows you what they do is, and we did, I don't know what you guys did in the Navy, but in the Army we had to do oil spill cleanups all the time. And what you do is you pour sawdust on top of the oil drips. Mm -hmm. You push broom it and then you put it in a pile and someone takes it in a truck somewhere yeah. but that oil is always there yeah. like it doesn't disintegrate yeah. and so when they do the cleanups for the pipeline spills what they do is they just bury it yeah. they throw dirt over the top of it and then of course six months later it's seeping into all the water and mm -hmm. everyone's yards and everything else yeah. it's, it's a really it's the most powerful film I've seen on this stuff mm -hmm. just because he's personally like this guy's a crusader, What's and he worked for it. John Bolenbog, B-O-L-L-E-N-B-A-U-G-H. Film have a title? I don't know if it has a title. Uh, do you know? Probably has a title. <laughs> um, but I mean, he literally just put it together. Got it. Uh, and there's probably some standing rocks up there. It's mainly about oil cleaning in Michigan and how people are being poisoned. And when you see, I mean, um, I don't know, General Honore said it best. I talked to him a couple of days after I got back from Standing Rock. He's the guy who made the phone call that pretty much saved our lives out there mm -hmm. and got them to do the easement. And General Honore was like, listen, every day there's more people and less fresh water, and that's just reality. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. It's been a pleasure. Hey, man. I got to go. So, thank you. Um, that's a lot that's for a me. Lot for you. I only okay. need one. You only need one? Okay. If you need more, um, this is the book that Lauren authored. Perfect. With metabolic There's one that you would want to give one yeah. to? Yeah. I, I kind of a hermit. I mean, this is, <laughs> since I was last saw you on Sunday night, this is the only group of people I've 
been in larger than my wife. Okay. Yeah. You have Wes's contact information. Yeah, you got, you got my contact info. Call me whenever. Yeah, Wes, I don't have your email though. Oh, it's it's uh, Wes Clark Jr. Uh, w s c l a r k j r at gmail dot com. All lowercase. Got it. It'd be nice to get some contacts from you. Yeah. on the ground there. Before you go. Let me. I'll give them to you right now. Okay, cool. It was um, a pleasure, and uh, this is meant as a compliment, but the Jesuits would be proud of you. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm definitely influenced by the Jesuits. Oh, I it, mean, it, it comes through. There's, there's. I guess growing up in an army family and Catholic, you have a weird sense of justice. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we live in a, a very well weird but good. And we have to do something about it before it mm -hmm. kills us. Sure, Sean Sullivan, thank you, good friend of mine up there. 757. Seven, and the best way to get in touch with everyone is text. Just tell them, dude, I'm a friend of Wes's. He said to get in touch with you when I came up. He's with Veterans Respond. And I'll give you the guy from Veterans Stand, Chris Dussing. He will be there too. That's his number. And he's pretty much their head of their operations going on the ground. And that's also Stan. That's Veteran Stan, the first guy who's Veterans Respond. Chris Dussing. He's an ex army captain who organized it. Uh, hmm? Oh, my number? Oh, sure. It's 310 400. Nine five two six. Three one zero four zero zero nine five two six. And make sure you guys have like an evac plan out there and a casualty plan in case something happens. I mean, I just I always believe in planning for the worst case scenario. Um, but if you get out there and you need something from on the tribal side, give me a call. That's a little more delicate. I can't just give you their numbers. Oh, they wouldn't even answer anyway. They barely answer my texts. Yeah, we have contact Yeah, they're not great at response. That's why it's not organized. Yeah. So, thank you very much. Good luck out there. Be safe. Absolutely. Austin, you coming out to? Uh, you gonna get with us when we go to Arizona and Utah? Well, I have to check. Uh, right. I gotta take care of the Apache and the Ute. Okay, yeah, we'll look into it. So yeah, the Apache, there's a sinkhole in Arizona. They're trying to grab their land down there. So oh, really? Veterans Response been talking to the Apache guy and the Ute. They're gonna try and seize like half their reservation just to literally drill for oil and gas. Wow. When are you going out there? Whenever it starts to happen. They're already setting the laying the groundwork for the camp and. Apache country, and they've already laid the camera for oh, the Two Rivers know. camp in Texas. Yeah, we need to know that. And then yeah. the yeah. will be something. later yeah. in the spring. Okay. So, yeah. We just, I mean, it's not organized. We just yeah. go yeah. whenever yeah. shit happens yeah. and we hear about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and there's battles to fight here. Yeah. Here, everywhere. In the mountains, and, you know, Chumash Tongva people. So yeah, I know. Yeah. Everywhere. So, all of us. Yeah. Down in Wilmington and the oil refineries. Mm -hmm. Big stuff. I mean, it's nationwide. Yeah. So yeah, that's why there can't be any one leader. You have to be yeah. everybody. Absolutely. So y'all have a good one. Bye. 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 Bye.
thank you all, and thank you, Austin, for making it today from work and everything else. Oh, you're thanks doing. for having yeah. me. Yeah, it's right. great. I needed one edit.